1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing With Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, February sweeps are upon us, and the shows have some big story planned. So first of all, on Days, John is going to get a blast from the past, as will Ben when his sister Jordan, played by Chrishell Hartley, returns to town. On B&B, Hope will get to hold her baby, who, as we know, she thinks is dead, but has actually been adopted by Steffi. Now, on General
0: Hospital, Laura is going to grow more suspicious of Kevin's behavior. Anna and Finn will look into a piece of her past with Robert Scorpio's help. And Sonny will have to make some big decisions about his ailing father, Mike. And on YNR, Nick will finally learn the full truth about JT's death. And Kane will try to make
1: amends for his dalliance with Victoria. Well, of course, we can also expect some big Valentine's Day moments. Uh, will and Sonny fans will want to tune into days. Spoiler alert. Also look for a Ted and Hope kiss. And on B&B, Thorne will drop a bomb on Katie. Um, so speaking of B&B, let's go back to the story with Hope. Uh, we just discovered for certain that her baby lived and that her child, who she named Beth, will now be raised by Steffi. Now, this is not a new story for daytime. We saw it with Bianca and Babe on All My Children, Sammy and Nicole with Sydney on Days, and we're seeing it now with Baby Wiley on GH. But it really struck me that this doesn't seem like a and b type of story. You know, even having Hope cry for as long as she has, and trust when I say that Annika Noel has been doing such a fantastic job, but it almost feels out of place on this soap, which I feel tries to stay out of that really heavy lane of melodrama.
0: Yeah, maybe it's because it's a half-hour show and it has fewer characters on in a given day. But it has seemed very heavy on the anguish. And um, I can't really think of the last time
1: on B&B where we saw a character cry this many days in a row. Me neither. And yet, if she had just gotten over it in a day or two, that certainly wouldn't have felt right either. You know, I appreciate that the show has taken its time with showing her grief. But I can't lie that it's been a little hard to watch. I don't know that I can be sucked into that kind of emotion when I'm when I have the show on like here at the office. Yeah, I
0: agree. Um, you know, I appreciate on General Hospital that Michael and Willow are both in grief counseling. But I also appreciate that the grief counseling sessions themselves are not on camera so much. You know, to me, that's a good compromise between suggesting that one can get over something as devastating as, like, the loss of a child in a couple of days or weeks or even months. But also it works for me to know that they're doing that when I'm not seeing them. (laughs) Like, I don't need to be in on the sessions. I do tend to like therapy sessions on soaps, by the way. I I wish we got to see more of Alexis's therapy that started. But I do think that, you know, the crying every day does not escape as television make.
1: You know, and to that point, um, even though I'm sitting here saying, like, oh, it's kind of hard to get through, I do like that they've had Hope, you know, cry and show her emotions through this. There is nothing I like less than a stoic reaction to death. I just think it is so not real life. I don't know anyone who hasn't cried when they lost someone close to them. And it is just really not my favorite choice.
0: Yeah, I've seen some rough non-reactions to deaths on soaps in my day. Um, (laughs) You know, it just makes me feel... Like, I wish they had time for another take. That's like the nicest thing I can say.
1: (laughs) But, you know, sometimes I feel it's the actor's choice. Like, oh, my character is going to respond this way. And I'm assuming as part of the bigger narrative that the show is telling. But not a big fan of that. I am also not a huge fan of denial. I I was
0: just going to say that I love the point you made. I believe it was uh, after Kiki's death on GH that people are like, no, it can't be. You were like, why not? You know, certainly <laughs> I've experienced losses that seem surreal, but I was able to simultaneously feel like they were surreal and intellectually understand, you know, that the thing, that, the person or, or, or being that I love is no longer here. <laughs> um, hey, Steph. Do you like it when
1: people scream at dead bodies to wake up? Um, I think you know the answer to that. (laughs) I mean, I guess I just expect soaps to mirror real life in storylines where the situations are all too real. I'm not going to judge a possession story too hard. (laughs) or a back from the dead, you know, the things that we don't see every day in real life. But when it's something that viewers have experienced personally, I just like to see care taken with the execution. I think one of the reasons that
0: BJ's death on GH will always be held up as soap excellence is because Jackie Zeman, Christina Wagner, and Brad Mall delivered 100% heart-wrenching performances. You know, if they had struck false notes or no notes, uh, it would have undercut the impact of that storyline considerably.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's a story that whenever we do the greatest soap moments, yeah. the greatest soap storylines, the greatest soap deaths, you know, anything, the greatest soap performances, yeah. we always go back to that story. Yeah. They channeled
0: something so human. And I think that's really what
1: we're talking about. Right. Ultimately. That's yeah. what I want to see. That's why we watch soaps. Yeah. Um, well, on a GH note, our guest today is James Patrick Stewart, better known in Port Charles as Valentin Cassadine. So let's get him on the phone and see what he has to say about his character and his recent trip to Nashville. Hi, James. Hi. How are you today? Well, you're here with Steph and with Mara. Hi,
2: Steph and Mara. Good to talk to you.
1: You too. You too. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, first of all, you just got back from Graceland. Tell us all about it.
2: Isn't that something? That was. That I mean, I I would I would I would love everybody to get a chance to go. It, it is, I think. Um, By the time Elvis had gone, you know, I was fairly young. And and so my first impression of him was at the tail end of his life, Um, getting a chance to go to Graceland and and see his house and sort of feel his his spirit in, in, in it and, and see footage of him as a young man and see all the artifacts. It was really exciting. It really, really was. And I and I and I couldn't I can't recommend it hardly enough. The jungle room in the back of his house. I had no idea that he had actually recorded three of his own albums, three albums in his own house. And um, you know, the carpeted kitchen. It just it it had oh, wow. such incredible personality.
0: And, and design um, inspiration for you and your wife.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, she won't let me carpet the kitchen.
1: <laughs> I've actually never heard of that.
2: I know. It, what's weird is you talk to somebody in the kitchen. It just doesn't. It just doesn't feel right. It feels awkward because the, the acoustics <laughs> right. are. They, it doesn't feel like a kitchen. It just feels like a recording studio. <laughs> yeah interesting but i i absolutely I, I loved it and um you know the, the the people were unbelievably receptive we had a huge turnout for the uh the convention for the event and uh, they they couldn't have been more uh accommodating i mean they were just you know it was great it's
0: well, fun obviously uh james you had told me about what it like inspiration rick springfield was to you as a guitarist Mm -hmm. so i was stalking your instagram waiting for the picture of the two of you and i was so delighted that you did get to meet so tell us all about that
2: yeah, well, it's funny that actually I've explained that to Frank Valentini and he, his eyebrow went up. He's like I, it, it seems sort of incongruous, right? It's sort of like for, for, for me to, to, to go around talking about Rick Springfield. But the truth is, is that when I was 13 years old, I had a girlfriend who was a fan and I had uh, surprised her with uh, uh, two uh, Rick Springfield tickets. And my mom had paid for them with her Visa card. And I broke up with a girl just a week before the concert. So I ended up going solo. And uh, I, I didn't really know his stuff. I mean, I, I think Jesse's girl was number one that week, or whatever. And so it was sort of—I kind of I kinda knew what the song was. But what I wasn't expecting, and having grown up in the music industry, I'd seen plenty of guys like you know, uh, uh, you know, Sean Cassidy and whatnot. You come out, you sing, and then you, when it's time for the guitar solo, you 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 let somebody a little bit more proficient take over. And what I, what blew me away was Rick did his own soloing. He was pretty much his own lead guitar player, and that was cool to me. That was. You know, for me, for my young thirteen year old self, it was like seeing Jimi Hendrix. It was really <laughs> it was exciting to watch how how musical he was, and and you know the songs obviously were hits and catchy, and, and it didn't hurt that I was thirteen and I watched his influence on the young ladies, and I was like, I got to get a guitar, you know, so so. Yeah. So I went home and I taught myself Jesse's girl and I bought his record and I taught myself, I went up, moved on to Love is All Right Tonight and, you know, Everybody's Girl. And I just, I I just found myself learning all these songs and that's how I learned to play guitar. Even though my father is an extremely proficient guitar player, he could never get me to pick it up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But Rick Rick Springfield did.
0: So (laughs) So were you like, were you stars like nervous to meet him? Did did you embarrass yourself at all? I don't know. I don't. I don't know that
2: I was nervous, although I was I, I was at the, sound, at the side of the stage with Finola, with Wes, and with Laura, um, and you know he he looked right at me, and there was that moment of like, holy crap, I'm 14 or 13, 14 all over again, and Rick Springfield is looking right at me. It was really freaking cool, is what it was. And, <laughs> You know, Finola knew him. They worked together, so she was the one who did the intros. And we talked. We talked briefly. We talked a little bit about music. We talked about the fact that I'd been at the show in, you know, 1981 at the Universal Amphitheater, which, of course, I I didn't really impress him much because he was there, too.
0: (laughs) 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 And probably had a better view.
2: But, yeah, he had a much better seat than I had and uh And then we talked about the, you know, the Malibu fires and the fact that, you know, at at his age, and we didn't talk about his age, but he's, you know, he's he's no spring chicken. He's doing a hundred shows a year. And uh, I think, you know, it was really, it was really neat. It was neat to to finally get a chance to meet him. You know, all my friends from high school, they commented on the post too. They knew that it was going to happen one day. It took a little longer than they thought, but they knew it was going to happen one day.
0: That's so cool.
2: And then I went home, and, you know, i recording this album, the, the Apple Tree, and I, I came home, and I, a full day that I should have been working on it was spent playing
1: Rick Springfield. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the creative process. Up, Inspiration.
2: It was. And there's that, there's that part of it. It's like, I can't possibly put a Rick Springfield cover on. What are you, kidding? But... But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. There's a call into to one of his people.
1: <laughs> um, well, as you mentioned, you did grow up in the music industry. Your father, Chad Stewart, was in the group Chad and Jeremy. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, tell mm-hmm. us what that was even like, and were you even aware sort of, of what your dad did?
2: Yeah, I was aware, but much like everything else in life, you know, you, you know familiarity, I just... Uh, uh, I don't know if it bred contempt, but I just wasn't, I wasn't all that impressed by it. But when I was very young, Chad and Jeremy have the same publicist as the Beatles. Uh, his name is Derek Taylor. And um, so the sort of the two companies, Chet and Jeremy and, and, and Apple, uh, the Beatles company, they did a lot of business together. And so uh, oftentimes I would be at Derek's house playing with his daughter, Lucy, and uh, there on the couch sitting next to me was George Harrison uh, in, in his full uh, long hair, uh, long beard You know, uh, 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 and I I knew who the Beatles were, so I was kind of impressed with all the celebrities my father knew. But my father, being a celebrity, didn't—he didn't didn't feel like a celebrity. He was just my dad, you know. And um, you know, Jeremy Clyde would always bring people. I think there was a time that Jeremy was dating Lauren McCall and you know, so there were sort of celebrities around. But it was just normal to me. It was just, and my father coached my soccer team, so it was just like he was just my dad, you know. He just got. He just happened. It was just cool when he met celebrities because they were always so happy to meet him, like Glenn Campbell had um, had worked as a session musician for Chad and Jeremy a couple of times. And so when we, f- we were finally on the Tonight Show and Glenn saw him, Glenn sort of dropped everything to run over to say hello to my father. And I knew who he was. I mean, Rhinestone Cowboy was a, was a hit when I was a kid. And it was, it was neat that way, you know. But, it didn't- but-, but-, but that's about all I can say about that. It was just a cool way to meet celebrities.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, just so you know, I am the hugest Beatles fan, so I have the dopiest grin on my face just even listening to these stories. I mean, it sounds incredible. Yeah.
2: my my father's Rick Springfield was Paul McCartney. You know he was he was right. really even you know even to this day. If if when Paul McCartney recorded with a mandolin, my dad went out and bought a mandolin. Oh wow, <laughs> that's
1: that's amazing.
2: Yeah, I remember he he, he went, when he first got the, the mandolin, you know, and he he, he played the three songs. Uh, i sorry, the three chords that Paul plays in that everybody's going to dance tonight. Just like a kid, my dad plays the three chords and he goes. My God, it's so simple. He goes, "Why didn't I think of that?" <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the Apple Tree album. The Apple Tree album is uh, something that was has been a long time coming. My father, uh, you know, being a, a composer and a, and a rocker and a, and a producer and a writer, you know, he raised me as a drummer, basically. And my father uh, also raised my brother as a bass player, so we were supposed to be the rhythm section. And and after Jeremy was gone, we were supposed to carry the mantle. And three of us would ride off into the sunset playing music. And it, as you know, life is—it's it's what happens while you're busy making other plans. And and uh, um, you know, my my brother went into science, and I went into something way more secure like television. <laughs> and um, it was—you know—whenever I visit him in Thanksgiving and Christmas, he'd always be like, you know, where's the album? You know, where's the album? You should really put the album out. And, you know, for whatever reason, this Thanksgiving, my father, you know, this year, my father hung up his dancing shoes and he retired. He doesn't tour anymore. And, and there was just a sort of a, a, a deep, deep, deep reson, reson, resonance in me. When I saw him, I was just like, you know, I, I think now is the time because it's, I'm, I'm not going to have forever to do this. So I turned around and I talked to some people and all of a sudden, a lot of musician friends of mine were just like, "How can we help? How can we help?" Christine Wu from um, the Nurses Ball last year was like saying, "You just let me know, and and um, and we'll all be there." And we, Christine and I, have already put up just a phenomenal song together, and uh, we're working on another one to pitch for if they're going to have another Nurses Ball, or if they'll have me, you know, I've got another one to pitch to them. And all of these one, all of these will end up on the album. We've got about eight songs done. Uh, they're not mixed, but they certainly will be. I'm hoping to have 10, uh, perhaps even 11, uh by uh, April. And then we'll release it uh, in conjunction with the Nurses Ball. So it'll be available on iTunes and Spotify and all those things. And it's called the Apple Tree. And I'm really, really proud of
0: it. I'm so excited to hear it. And I'm also wondering, James, if there's any chance that, uh, you know, you could hook your girl up with a complimentary copy over here. <laughs> of course. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Of course I'll even Sweet.
2: sign it for And there'll be a couple of Chad and Jeremy tunes on there too. What's really, really cool is getting a chance to uh to uh to record some of the Chad and Jeremy stuff that isn't necessarily the stuff that made it to the top ten, but growing up I, I would hear my father play them. And I just thought that's just the greatest. I just I just love that song. There's a song on one of his last albums that's that's called um, you know Rest in Peace, and it's just devastating. And I actually reached out to uh, to Jeremy if he'd be willing to sing on it with me. He said any time. He said wow. I'd be happy to come climb your tree. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's
1: really cool. <laughs> so thanks for asking. Oh yeah, of course. We can't wait to hear it. Um so let's take a little um, walk back um to the start of your daytime career. um tell us how you came yeah. to join all my children
2: yeah, you all my bastard yeah what
1: <laughs> what
0: i'm 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 referring to you as will really when I say that, but he was a <laughs> he was a no good
1: Nick. <laughs> I thought
0: i missed I thought I missed something.
2: I, 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 yes, he was, he was a bastard. And The fun thing is, is that he was a bastard for about six months. And what I love is, is that all these years later, people still come up to me and talk about how, how great that ride was, that six months. It really was a moment where the gloves really came off. But to begin with, I was, I was struggling in, in Hollywood. I was going to class with a couple of young, uh, uh, punks, Benicio del Toro and Mark Ruffalo. And, and when I, when I got the audition for the soap, uh, I, I remember one of the things I remember about it was there was an earthquake during the read. And the casting director got on the desk, but I didn't stop
1: reading. <laughs> <laughs> That's commitment. <laughs> and,
2: and I think that, I think that that might've led to why I was flown to New York to read with Katie McLean. And that was an exciting day. Cause I'd, I don't think I'd ever been to New York and I got a chance to run around and have a real New York pizza and stuff like that. And by the time I got home they said, you've got three days to pack to get back to New York. And I was so green. Uh, if you show me any video of those first few episodes, it's just it makes my toes curl to the point where I almost need medical attention <laughs> because it was, I just I, I was so nervous and I was so I, I was so obsessed with all the wrong things and and Michael Knight God bless him really took me under his wing and um, he really showed me the ropes and um, you know we would we would we would go he he, he just he's become a lifelong friend still is he's actually my youngest son Colin. And um, he just sort of showed me how to do it. And the irony was, by the time I, you know, figured out what's what, they, Felicia, the executive producer, came down to my dressing room, which is probably why I, all of us always, you know, have the fear of God put into us. When they, they say, uh, "Please report to Frank," <laughs> 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 you're almost, you you're. It's sort of like you know some sort of stress disorder. You're to there in fire. But, uh, you know, she was like, you know, we're, the bad news is we're going to let you ride into the sunset. The good news is we're going to give you a hell of a send-off. And 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 Will's, uh, the, the lead-up to Will's death was just uh, a, a barrel of monkeys. It was a ton of fun. It really was. I still have a poster on the, the, the dressing room signed by everybody because there were so many uh, suspects in his murder. Kelly Ripple was a suspect.
0: Yep, yep. Yeah,
2: they were all suspects.
0: It was one of, like, the best-crafted, you know— Mystery is, I think it's still held up, held in that regard. Uh, And the photo that you're talking about with everyone in the trench coats, like, that's iconic. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, it is. I, I And uh, I have it on my dressing room door in, in, in general hospital. And I must say that years later, Agnes Nixon, the last time I ever got a chance to talk to her, I ran into her and she said the same thing. She said, that was one of my favorite storylines that I've done in a long time. She said, I'm sorry for the way it had to end, but you know, I really do appreciate you being so gracious about it because it worked great. So that was a nice way. That was a nice uh, a nice exchange. Yeah.
0: Um. Now, I know that you ha- uh Have been friends for a long, long while with Mr. Ricky Paul Golden, who was on Another World when you were on All My Children, and uh, later, Mm -hmm. many years later, played Michael Knight's brother on All My Children. Um, But you had me in such hysterics talking to me about your friendship with Ricky Golden. I, I, I need more. How did you meet the guy? How did you become friends? And who, like, how? I know you guys are still, still tight.
2: Yes, I loved both of those guys. So when they became brothers on the show, that was ironic because they'd been two of my best friends for you know over a decade when that happened. And Ricky and I, oh my god, Ricky. Ricky is a great friend. If you're lucky enough to be his friend, he's a he's not just a good friend; he's a great friend because he 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 is so loyal, so intensely loyal. He's he shows up for his friends. I I I have more stories than I could possibly tell you, but I will tell you this: when I when I first met him. He had come to New York to do uh, Another World, and he had heard my name, and because somebody said, "Oh, you should you should go meet uh, uh, James Patrick," and and I had just broken with my up with my girlfriend. So he comes over, and he immediately takes over my apartment. He's just like he goes, "Can I open these drapes? You know, this bed looks like it needs to be made," and he just he just completely (laughs) took over the place. And he just in retrospect. He, he admits to me, he says, oh, I knew what, 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 you know, I knew what you were going through and I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to tolerate it. And he <laughs> ends up, he ends up just like the second time I'd even met him. He invites me on a personal appearance in Milwaukee. We go to an appearance for three days, we're bowling. And he just, he just snapped me right out of my funk. And, uh, and, you know, years later when he broke up with, uh, his fiance, Yasmin Bleef, I did the same for him. You know, I had him stay at my house. My dog fell in love with him, would no longer sleep with me. only slept with he just loved. <laughs> Ricky Ricky would do things like I would I would get a TV show I was working with uh Nathan Lane one time on an NBC show called Encore Encore and I came backstage after the first episode and he had set up a, an entire setup of caviar with all the accoutrements on on my coffee table with a note saying break a leg and he didn't even bother to stay to say hello he just took <laughs> off that was he was like this this one else. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You know, and, and he's, he's, we've been, we've had, we've had money, we've been broke. And one of the things we've always done is we've just always been together. You know, he's just, he loves, he loves that. I'll fly across the country to, to, to see him if he's got something to show me and, and vice versa, <laughs> you know, good friend, good, good, good friend.
0: Now you've had children uh, for a lot longer than him. Uh, but has, has it been sweet? to like yeah. see him become a dad as well?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it just goes to show you the, you know, the, 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 the actual action of taking care of that child. So I think it's far beyond the genetic par- uh, part of the equation. I think having to show up for something like that day in and day out, totally changes you totally changes you it's, it's made him he was already a great person but there's a sort of a authenticity that now resonates uh beyond what he was now that he's a father and he adores those children and what he does to decorate that house on halloween is just classic ricky you know and his, his christmases are something out of a, a movie and uh, i'm just a. Uh, yeah, I'm really impressed with him. I'm, I'm very impressed with him. I was sad when All My Children was canceled, as, uh, just like everybody. I mean, we all felt a huge disturbance in the force. And, and I mean, the fans must have been devastated. Uh, and watching him go through the transition was rough. Uh, but I, I did also know that he was going to fall squarely on his feet uh, sooner or later, and he definitely has. I mean, the life he has from himself in New York is is the envy of millions. You know, he and he and Greta have a just a terrific apartment business, uh, multiple businesses that they work, and two beautiful, beautiful children. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. I I, I love those guys.
1: Well it's funny that you mentioned Katie McLean and now you're working at General Hospital with her husband, Sean Lindstrom. You know, what is it like for you to sort of just have mm-hmm. all these connections that kind of come back around in this business?
2: I know it's a small it's a small world. I think, you know, once you realize that you once you prove that you can do the work, you know, you then then um, you know, everybody gets hired and rehired and by the time we get to one soap opera left, all of a sudden the sort of the, the guys who the best that Frank can get are have been made available. And the one thing about John, I will say, is, is that I knew he was, and I was sort of like, um, uh, by the time I showed up, he was playing Santa Claus occasionally, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I was like, oh, it's come to that, has it? And then we did the scene with Jeannie in the hallway in the hospital, and he was just stunning. I mean, not only that, he was well-trained. His articulation was on point. I mean, everything about him was just really polished, and I thought, oh, I get it. Now I understand, you know, now I understand why he's still around and why he's, uh, you know, why he's got the name.
0: Jeannie yep. Francis is someone who overlapped uh, from All My Children to General Hospital, and now, yeah. man, did, that Laura does not like Valentine, and with good reason.
2: No, knowing each other as well as we know, in fact, I've known Fanola and I've known Jeannie almost as long as I've you know known anybody on that show, and and uh, having that history really helps because you're willing to take risks. Jeannie was on All My Children briefly as a Sarah or something. Sarah Connor. Remember what the character's name was. You, you yeah, nailed it. Yeah. You nailed it. Sarah Connor. Why so no, well, why, Sierra Conner, isn't that what Arnold Schwarzenegger used to say? Sierra Conner, where is Sierra Conner? <laughs> so I never understood that. I never You're understood right. that, that name. Yeah. But I do remember, I do remember that she was dating Jean Leclerc on the show. And I, and I remember getting a chance to apple pie her bed. I think I've told you that story. I got a chance to short got, her bed. You gotta tell us again. On,
0: it's so delightful. Yeah. I've never heard it. Yeah.
2: She and Jean Leclerc, we used to, we would block in the morning, we would rehearse in the afternoon, and then we would do the, we would actually film the show in the evening. And uh, they had blocked, rehearsed, and they were filming, and they were, you know, she was in her, they were supposed to be naked, so they're all in their body suits. It was a very, it was a very intimate moment. But what they didn't know is that between their dress rehearsal and the shooting, that I had short-sheeted their bed, and I was waiting I was waiting in the lobby of all my children on 66th Street watching the monitor with a cab running. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just absolutely, it could not have gone better. It was all on tape. And sure enough, Jeannie was the first person to spot it because she was supposed to get under the covers to cover what, you know, to cover herself. And she couldn't. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, and, and I jumped in the cab and took off before anybody could figure <laughs> out who had done it. smart yeah and then and then and then today when she when she came back from her sort of moment momentary uh missingness this this year you know we were doing a scene on the dock and uh there was not supposed to be a slap but i watched her get so worked up and i said Jeannie, i know you want to hit me feel free she goes no i can't i said listen you're not gonna hurt me hit me and so sure enough, during the, the filming, she slowed me so hard. It was phenomenal. <laughs> but but the next thing you know, you get after the scene, you go, uh, Janice, please report to Frank's office.
1: <laughs> Uh-oh.
2: <laughs> so I go up there and he's like, What the hell was that? <laughs> you go and I go, My fault, I should have told you. He goes, Your face is all pink. <laughs> what are you do with you now? <laughs> you do a good Frank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, Frank's amazing. He yeah, now nah, he's he is, he is a character. I mean, love him absolutely, but I would never want to call Frank Valentini ever. Yeah.
0: So lesson learned: don't don't uh, give slap approval to Jeannie without running it by the boss.
2: Exactly. I should at least let them know it's coming.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you had a long period in between your yeah. two daytime gigs, where you certainly racked up an impressive mm-hmm. list of credits. On. Yeah, you you, mm. you you were everywhere, everywhere. Um, mm. Mm. I mean, I feel like Mar and I were like checking out your IMDb just to see, you know, which to even where to even right. go with it yeah, because exactly. there were so many things.
2: Yeah. Do you know the thing I'm the most proud of? Though the thing that, somebody pointed this out to me, I think the thing I'm the most proud of is if you look at that, you'll notice that there's a lot of recurring. There's a lot of being invited back, and I think that the heroes that I, I watched early on in my career. Um, you know, guys like Martin Sheen and John Lithgow and guys like this who just, you know, guys who were just really decent, cool people who knew their lines, uh, never, ever complained and were un- and just really, really, you know, proud of their work. You know, I think that I, I tried to follow that. I tried to emulate that to the best that I could, you know. And um, and I think that that's why I got invited back so many times. You know, a, a, a single guest appearance would turn into either a recurring or a series regular. And that's the thing I'm the most proud of, you know? And I think that hopefully, Frank, uh, we don't know each other terribly well, but I think one thing he does know about me is, is that I'm I'm there to be part of the solution. I'm not there to complain. I'm there to help the show get across the finish line at the end of the day and be invited back tomorrow. You know, and, and I think that he I think that on some level he respects that, and I think that's why I'm still there, even when I was only supposed to be there for ten days.
0: Well, to that point. Uh, I think certainly you know the how we met Valentine a little uh, you know a shotgun moment in, in uh, on Casadine Island uh, comes to mind he did not mm-hmm. seem slated to be long lasting and yet here we are uh, several years down the line. So obviously you didn't mm-hmm. think going in that this was going to be the case what keeps you wanting to stay there and and keep tackling Valentine
2: um, I, I do so many reasons, you know, and I think it was a shift in perception because at the time, you know, I was busy trying to land the big nighttime thing. And, and I was like, I don't what, no soap operas behind me, blah, 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 blah. I don't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And the shift in perception was, I think, A, I love the danger. Uh, B, I love the people. Um, I love, I, and I love, I love the challenge. It, it is, it, I, I, I take it as seriously as anything that I worked on. I, 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 I I was afraid that I was going to somehow think that the dialogue and the situations were silly. I don't, I, I, I early on, on this particular gig, I looked around and I saw people like Jeannie and I saw people like Fanola and I watched how they, they lent a, a sort of a, gra- um, a gravity to it. They, okay. Yes this is silly of course it's silly that there's a a, a a suddenly a cave behind a bookcase that we've established for decades <laughs> uh what, you know whatever but it whatever happens. the silliness is but but yeah but but they they go but so what this we we let, i i'm going to lend, uh, my authenticity to the situation and we're going to sell it. And I think the two people I mentioned really demonstrated that they could sell anything. It didn't matter what you wrote for them. They will, they will make you believe it. And I thought, well, that I'm interested in, I'm interested in that. And I feel like, uh, once I, I gave myself over to that, I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm part of something bigger than myself and who could want anything more. I'm I'm there to help this thing you know, do well. And, and and not only that, you get a chance to go to appearances like this, like we did in Graceland and you come face to face with people who, whose lives you are, you are, you know, it's uh, improving. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying we're curing cancer, but I, but if, if they, if, if, if he, she enjoys it, then it's my pleasure to bring it to them. You know, and I think at the end of the day, you have done your part to make somebody a little bit happier. So, you know. And and, uh, and and I don't want to gloss over the fact that the people that I work with are so terrific. I mean, I'm talking all of them. Uh, em, Steve, all of them. John, all of them, you know. Just really authentic. Laura, who I've known forever. She's gotten a chance to just show me how, how she's grown as not only a human being but as an artist. And it's just been a pleasure. I, I, I look forward to going in. I really do.
1: Well, Nina and Valentin are also... Uh, back-and-forth duo on the show. Um, tell us about working with Michelle and what you think of this couple.
2: Yeah. Michelle I fell in love with instantly. And, and, and by that I mean I just loved her whole energy. She's, she she made me laugh the moment I met her. I mean, she. I think I told you the story before, but I was just there with a, you know, I was just a sort of mustachioed villain showing up to uh, to shoot somebody. And uh, as I thought I was being led away in handcuffs, Frank pulls me over to introduce me to uh, to Michelle. And he goes, uh, hey, uh, uh, James, this is Michelle. Uh, you're going to do a love scene with her next week, okay? <laughs> and Michelle <laughs> looks at me with a smoky look in her eye and she goes, she looks at me, she goes, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and she just made, she just you know she just made me laugh and and she's uh she is she is i think you know she's probably a, a rare breed in that she's just a especially superior i mean she's gorgeous but she's also got a very body sense of humor and she's uh she's just a delight i mean she just she makes me laugh so hard and she gets along great with my wife and um you know so that i think there's a picture at the christmas party of the three of us together and it just, it's just one of my favorite pictures because the two worlds collide you
0: know. Yeah, absolutely. I love that photo too. Um, another mm-hmm. uh, leading lady, if you will, of yours on that show is Scarlett Fernandez. And I want to hear about, mm-hmm. uh, I know there was a time you had to like bribe her with coloring books a little bit to get her to warm up. I, Tell uh, me about your relationship with her now playing father and daughter.
2: She yeah she really she really opened up she really blossomed she because initially she was very intimidated uh, by me and that wasn't working so you know I just I, I remember when I was a kid doing a TV show with uh, Lauren Green it's not polite to uh, drop names you know who told me that Lauren Green <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> we
1: welcome that here actually <laughs> yes totally. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was, I was doing, I was a kid on a show with Lauren and I remember Lauren, I guess he'd had grandchildren. He'd worked with so many kids over his career. He realized he needed to grab me and, and take me out for a chili dog and just really sort of like break the ice. And I kind of did the same thing with, with Scarlett. You know, I was just constantly bringing her presence and, you know, running around and getting on her level. And, and she, she just, she lit up. And I think that's one of the things that you see, and uh, uh, um, you know, is, is just sort of a mutual respect. And I think that I, early on, I made the decision that I wasn't going to talk down. That Valentin wasn't going to talk down to her. If anything, he was going to—he was going to feel um, pretty equal emotionally. You know, like she, she—you know—he, she, at the end of the day, is the most important thing in the world. And and uh, he's not much—he's not much of a disciplinarian. He's—he's definitely—he sees her as an equal emotionally. And I—I and I think that that comes across, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, now. James, the last time I talked to you, neither one of us were sure about whether Valentine was uh, deceiving Nina with this whole Sasha thing. We now, of yeah. course, know that yeah. yeah, she ain't really Nina's daughter. So brutal, totally brutal. So you know, you playing this guy needing to justify his his behavior. Give us your take on this latest, you know, uh, maneuver uh, of Nina by Valentine. Yeah.
2: The, the, I, lo- um, I love it because if I talk to 10 people in the street, 10 out of 10 of them are going to look at me and they're going to say, that's awful. It's so awful I can't even look at it. And that's true. But, you know, the, the cool thing about a soap is, is that it presents these absurd circumstances. And then we as actors, we have to sort of decode it and figure out how to make it. Uh, what, 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 what would this be like if it actually was happening in real life? And Valentin is in his own private hell because he's made a deal with the devil because he was so desperate he i don't think he actually thought beyond the end uh uh, of just getting her back in his bedroom and getting her back in his life he needed it so badly that he was willing to deceive and i think uh at the end of the day i think you know nobody understands better than he does that this is awful and and that, that that he he just wishes he could look her in the eyes and and um and have some authenticity. In fact, there's a moment there uh, back after they finally made love again and where he looks at her and he's, he realizes that there's no way he can possibly keep up this charade. And uh, he's about to level with her and let the chips fall where they may. Uh, and and uh, Lisa ends up showing up and saying, your secret's safe with me, I'll never say anything. And it's, and he, you know, he basically triggers out. He basically decides he's not going to do it. And I think for the last few weeks uh, since, inside, uh, I've been always trying to figure out a way to um, just kick the can down the road and, and not want to face the the inevitable, that uh, this, there's going to be a consequence for this. And maybe today won't be the day that the consequence comes. You know, I don't think, I think, unfortunately, he's kind of trapped in that mode where he knows he's done something wrong and he wishes he could undo it, but he did what he did to get what he wanted.
1: Tangled webs we yeah. weave and all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, what'd you hear yeah, from the yeah, fans sure. in Nashville about Valentin, what they have to say about him?
2: Well, that's, that's the South, so they're going to be nothing but paralysis. <laughs> 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 they might talk a little bit of smack about you once you leave, but they're not going
0: to do it with you in the room. To your face, they love valandine
2: <laughs> That's right. That's right. no, they, 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 we, they. That was a good group. You know, it was a. It was very, very humbling to be on stage with Maurice and and Steve and Finola and Laura. I mean, real soap royalty. You know, and and I think that uh that was just a good group to be on stage with, and. I enjoyed that. Steve is a—he's a, a real—I I love him. He's a hustler. He knows how to run that room. It's it, clearly he—he he does a lot of these uh, with what Stone Cold and the Jackal. Yeah. And it was really kind of—it was cool to watch him him work it. He could run one of those shows uh, alone. He wouldn't need anybody else. <laughs> he drive the van. He knows, <laughs> he
0: knows how to do it. I know. No, it really yeah. is funny to see him do that because obviously he has to hold back so much of his natural steveness as Jason.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, So when you look now, so you've been on GH for a bit, you were on All My Children. You know, how do you characterize the two experiences that you've had so far in daytime?
2: Well, I take them both equally seriously. But at my age and at my place sort of spiritually and emotionally and in in this life, uh, the first time around I was completely serving myself. I was absolutely doing everything uh, uh, to... um, as a sort of a springboard, uh, uh, this time around, I take, take it just as seriously and I work just as hard, but I'm doing it. I think uh, to offer up to those around me, to offer to Michelle, to offer to, to, to Frank and the producers and the writers. And, and, and I, and I'm basically just, I, I, I'm, I'm uh, I'm grateful to be allowed to be part of a team. I think that's a shift, but, um, but I, I, I feel as strongly about Valentine as I did about Will. I loved them both. And, uh, and uh, I, I see the intricacies uh, and the nuances of their characters, and, I, and I'm, I'm delighted for the opportunity to play them.
1: Well, it's certainly fun to watch, and we thank you for joining us today. <laughs> yes, this was so much fun. Thank you. All right, Bye. have a good day. All
2: right, we'll catch you later.
1: Thank you for joining us. Thank you to James Patrick Stewart for being our guest. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.